listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. And flood, overflow. We ask for more. Lord, we entwine ourselves with you. You're so glorious. You're so beautiful. Thank you, Lord. Amen. What an amazing morning so far. Hey? It's exciting. I love it. Thank you, Jesus, for all you're doing. How can we ever stop saying thank you to Jesus? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Let's go for it. This morning, I want to begin a new series. Um, we're going to speak into the series at different points over the coming months. We've got a few other things planned as well, but it's kind of a, a series that we're going to come at from different angles. Um, and the series is called The Church That Jesus Is Building. The Church That Jesus Is Building. If you have your Bibles, you turn with me to Matthew 16. We're going to start in Matthew 16, then we're going to go over to John 15. Matthew 16, from verse 13 to 19 says this, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that I am? And they said to him, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? If you have a papal, paper Bible, papal Bible, paper Bible, underline that. If you're using your phone, highlight it. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Our revelation of who Jesus is, is vitally important. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he Lord, Savior, friend, King, shepherd, eternal word, rider on the white horse, King of kings? Uh, What's your revelation? Do you have a continuing, increasing revelation of Jesus? Verse 17 says, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, the church that Jesus is building, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What's the rock on which Jesus is building his church? It's an easy mistake. To be honest, the whole Catholic church I think missed the point of this. They said the rock is Peter and they made him the first pope. It's not Peter, it's the revelation. The rock on which Jesus builds his church is the revelation of who he is. Because if you look in the context, he says, who do people say I am? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, or Simon. I'm gonna change your name to Peter, which means the rock. But on this rock, on this revelation of who I am, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is building his church upon himself. He allows us to partner with him to be part of the process with him. But it always has been and it always will be his church built upon himself. He's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the revelation of Jesus and against the church that he's building. There's a lot of things that we build in the name of the church and in the name of, uh, of men and women and of ministries that the gates of hell can prevail against because it's not his church. 
but the church that he's building upon himself with a focus and a revelation on who Jesus is, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Jesus says that he's building his church and he commissions us as believers, as disciples, to go make disciples. We often get this backwards. We, all, we often try and build the church ourselves and expect Jesus to disciple people. But he says, let me build the church and you go, be, you go make disciples. You be disciples who make disciples. So if Jesus is building his church, the question we have to ask is what does that church look like? If we're gonna be a church that Jesus is building, a people that Jesus is building as his church together, what does that mean? What does that look like for each of us to, uh, individually and together? I'm not talking about a Sunday morning gathering. I'm not talking about what does this meeting look like. I'm talking about what does this community of people that God's added together, knit our hearts together, look like as we pursue him and glorify him and reflect his glory to other people around us. So this morning I want to start this series with the church that Jesus is building exists for his glory. The goal is not just a meeting. The goal is to see Jesus glorified in us and through us, in everything we do, whether it's on our own or together, to see him glorified. I love that, uh, uh, I don't know who read it. Um, Isaiah, who read Isaiah 61 this morning? Was that you, Olaf? Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is a prophecy about Jesus, but it also uh, uh, applies to us when we're in Christ. He's upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison doors to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, this beautiful exchange, uh, the, to give them the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. There's like a, a changing of our spiritual clothes. Instead of a faint spirit, we get praise. Instead of mourning, we get joy and gladness. We, you know, we're commissioned, but why? The next part of verse three is the key to this, the, you know, this passage. It says this, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his glory. Why? Why has he anointed us? Why does he have this beautiful exchange? Why does he give us joy for mourning? Why does he reclothe us? Why? So that we would be planted in him, righteous for the display of his splendor, that he would be glorified. That when people see us, as a church, as a community together, they would see the glory of Jesus. The church that Jesus is building exists for his glory. It's all about him. It's ruthlessly focused on him. How do we do this? I'm glad you asked. How? How? Let's turn to John chapter 15. How do we do this? How do we be a people who are all about his glory? Verse 1 from John chapter 15. Jesus is, is speaking. He says this. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Jesus in this passage, we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 8. Jesus is giving us an illustration 
of a profound reality in the kingdom. And stay with me for a little while because we're going to come back to how do we exist for his glory. But there's a key in here that if we get, it's going to release something in us. Let me give you a picture before we, before we read more to help you see what's going on. Um, who here has ever grown or seen a grapevine? So at our previous house, we had grapevines growing up. And if you, it, you know, if you look at the grapevine, there's a vine and there's branches. But the branches don't just sort of slot into the vine. It's not like you, you kind of, it's not like Lego. You don't click them in and click them out. The, 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 van, the, the branches are, are so a part of the vine. They, they, they grow together. The very fibers of the branches in the vine are knit together in that the branches receive all that they need from the vine. All of their, all of their life, all of their sustenance comes from the vine. They're so intertwined that in reality, you, don't, you, you can't tell where the, where the vine stops and the branch starts. And what's amazing about, uh, uh, about this illustration is that as the, 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 the vine and the branches get older, that happens more and more. When they're very young, you can almost see the, the, the connection point of the vine and the branch. As they grow and as they mature, they become so intertwined that there is no separating. You could cut it off, but it would, be, it would, it would die if it's cut off. They're so intertwined that you can't see where the one starts and the other finishes. They're growing into itself. And that's the picture in Scripture of abiding in Christ of abiding in him. You can't tell where he ends and I start. What we're gonna get at this morning is that if we're going to exist for the glory of Jesus, then we have to be fruitful, and to be fruitful, we have to abide. I'll tell you where we're going before we get there. That's the picture of abiding in Christ. You can't tell where he ends and where I start. There's an, there's an intertwining of our hearts, our mind, our will. I, I'm so yielded to his heart and his purpose that I can't tell where I end and where he starts. That my purpose becomes his purpose. That my heart becomes his heart. That my will becomes his will. That's the work that God's doing in us. That's the purpose of this illustration that Jesus is giving us. And that's what I want to unpack this morning. So verse 2 says this. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, I've often thought about this, that, and wrongly thought, that every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he prunes. Doesn't say that. Think about this. Growth requires pruning. It says every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that, be that bear fruits, he prunes. We think he, fru he prunes the unfruitful branches, but it says that he prunes the fruitful branches. How many of us want to grow? If you put your hand up and you say, I want to grow, then you have to allow him to prune you. We can't just think, prune the unfruitful ones. No, no, no. He's saying, I prune those who will bear fruit. If you want to grow, you have to be allowed to be pruned. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So he says this, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, I take away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Get this, the word clean in verse 3 and the word prune in verse 2 is the same word. He's saying you're already pruned because of the word that I've spoken to you. What does this tell us? 
tells us that discipline or that pruning, the pruning of God comes from his voice. Can I say this? Circumstances are not the discipline of God. Think about that again. Circumstances are not the discipline of God. Circumstances are to get our attention so that we listen to the voice of God because the pruning of God comes from the voice of God. Think about Jonah. So God speaks to Jonah. He says, go to Nineveh. Jonah runs the other way. Jonah gets in a storm. Jonah, they throw Jonah over the edge of the boat because they say, it's your fault the storm comes. He gets swallowed by a whale. You go, well, is getting swallowed by the whale the discipline of God? No, no. It was just God getting Jonah's attention so that next time Jonah spoke, he'd pay attention to what God was saying. Next time, after the whale spits him up onto the shore, and God says, go to, go to Nineveh, and Jonah says, yeah, okay. God doesn't prune us through the circumstances. God prunes us through his voice, through his word. That, 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 the word there, the translated word is rhema. Um, and it comes from, the, the, the root word is the breath of God. It actually talks about his presence with us. The very breath of God on us. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, The word, the rhema, the breath, the spoken word of God is living and active sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Ephesians 5 verse 26 says, having cleansed her, talking about the church, by the washing of water with the word, with the breath of God. God prunes us. If we want to be fruitful, we have to allow the pruning of God. But the pruning of God comes through his voice, not the circumstances. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. There is nothing of the eternal that I can produce through my own effort. This is, I think, where, you know, where uh, uh, we, we move from this thought that Jesus is talking about to Paul writing about uh, faith and works. There's nothing of the eternal that I can produce through my own effort. It comes from abiding in him. Everything is available if I'll yield to him, but it comes from him, not from me. Verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He's the vine, we are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is, uh, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like, like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word, my rhema, my breath abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In, chapter, uh, in three chapters in a row, in John 14, 15, and John 16, Jesus repeats one thought four times. The thought is this, whatever you ask for will be done. This is four times in three chapters. The, uh, <laughs> this verse that we've just read, in this verse, Jesus shows us the context for that statement that he says, I, I think if Jesus says something four times in three chapters in a row, he wants us to pay attention to it. But he gives us the context here in this verse. He defines how we can live in this place of fruitfulness and of seeing what we ask for done. Answered prayer. 
prayer answered. He gives us the context. It's according to verse 7. He says this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. To be honest, I've taught and I've heard others teach it like this. If you pray for what God tells you to pray, he'll answer your prayer. I've taught that. If, if I pray for what God's told me to pray, because that's what he wants me to pray, then he'll answer my prayer. And I think there's some truth there. It's just not fully true. There is truth there because we do live by and we are led by the voice of God. We want to see what the Father's doing and hear what he's saying and do that. That's what Jesus modeled for us. But in the place of relationship, I think there's more. If God really is truly about relationship with us, in the, from the place of relationship, I think God makes himself vulnerable, for, la for lack of a better word, to the desire of his people. In the place of relationship, this is not license to try and control God or try and manipulate God, but it's an invitation to a relationship where we actually have input into the, an interaction into the outcome of things. Otherwise, we're just robots. Otherwise, we just go through robotics. I think God actually so desires intimate relationship with us, for us to abide in him, that he actually gives us, in a place of, re, of partnership, of relationship, he, he, he gives us some, some say into, into this partnership of what happens. He wants us to pray. He wants us to ask. He, he, he wants us to partner with him, but not just robotically, like I'm not going to do anything, but actually from that place of abiding to ask. To have input and interaction into the outcome of things. The effort, I think, in, in prayer, in prevailing, in pressing in in prayer, in fasting, in pressing into him, is not to persuade him. Actually, when we understand, I think it's to deal with the powers that are entrenched into the area that we're pressing into. Stay with me. We're getting, we're getting to the, we exist for his glory. It's to deal, as we pray, it's to deal with the powers that are entrenched in that area. And the, the, the process of, 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 of praying and pressing into him and partnering with him relationally draws us into deeper relationship. It transforms us so that we become responsible stewards of what we're praying into. Think about this. From Egypt to the promised land. So God said, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt, a place of slavery, bring you into the promised land, a place of inheritance and fruitfulness. From Egypt to the promised land was an 11-day walk. But it took the Israelites, 40 years to do an 11-day walk. Why? I believe because if Israel had gone into the promised land in 11 days that it was supposed to take, they wouldn't have been able to occupy or take hold of the inheritance of that land. I think they would have walked in and right out. They didn't have the parameters. They didn't have the, the, the pattern for how to live life. They were still worshiping idols of the golden calf. They were still doing things and they were doing like crazy stupid things that were not God things. They were living their own way. God was teaching them that man cannot, that you, know, that you, uh, that you daily live by the, the voice of God, the bread of God, the manna that was provided. It, it wasn't, you couldn't store it up. You couldn't just go once a week. It wasn't a once a week faith. It was every day, come to me. 
God was teaching them some lessons so that when they got to the promised land, to the place of inheritance, they could actually possess the land and take hold of it and not lose the very inheritance that God was giving them. So the Lord puts us in situations where we push and we travail to build a spiritual strength so that once the answer is released, we have the maturity to use it for his glory. You see the point we're getting at? God puts us in situations where we have to push into him. We have to travail. We have to stay in the place of his presence and abide in him so that when the answer to the prayer that we've been praying, and whether it's a week or it's a year or it's five years, when the answer is released, we have the maturity to use it for his glory, not to take the glory for ourselves. The church that Jesus is building exists for his glory. That's the point today. That's the point I want you to get. When it becomes my passion for his will to be done on the earth and for him to be glorified as a result of his will being done. That's, it's two sides of the same coin. That his will is done, but not just his will is done so that we get a better name or so that I get a ministry, but that his will is done so that he's glorified. When that becomes my passion and the thing that I pursue, that, 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 that I, I believe we begin to see greater release of the supernatural, we begin to see more answered prayer, we begin to see more release of the breakthrough that we're crying out for because we step into a place of maturity to be able to lay hold of the inheritance that God has for us. It's all about his glory. It's all about his glory. And because my passion to see the will of God done on earth, I'm not talking about the stuff that benefits us. The absolute lordship of Jesus on earth, demonstrated. When it's truly about his glory, that's when we begin to see greater release of answered prayer. That's when we begin to see a greater release of the supernatural where he's glorified, where we don't try and take the glory. We don't kind of say, look at what I've done. All of it is deferred to him. Look at what Jesus has done. Look at what he's done. Look at what he's doing. He gets all the glory. It's all about him. From that place, we begin to see more and more because it's not about us. It's not about a church. It's not about a movement. It's about him, and it's about him alone, and we have to be ruthless in going after that because everything around us says, make it about you. It's Instagram famous preachers, it's, it's, it's famous ministries, it's big name uh, podcasts, it's, uh, you know, everything in, in our culture is make it about you, and we have to fight that because it's not about us, it's only about him. How does this become my passion? How does his glory become my passion? Verse 8 says, by this, my father is glorified. By what? that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We can talk about discipleship for the next 10 years. But Jesus looks and says, by this I'm glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We can call ourselves disciples, but have no fruit of discipleship. By this, what, what is the this in this verse? What is it that glorifies God? Me abiding in Christ until there's fruit. Me abiding in Christ until there's answers to prayer. Me abiding in Christ until he's glorified in my life. Not answers to prayer that glorify me or our ministry or our church, but that glorify Jesus. Me abiding in him, me resting in him 
until it's all about him. How do we glorify him? How do we bear much fruit in him? You might think this is overly simple, but you have to get this. By abiding in him. It all starts in that place. Not by going to more prayer meetings, going to more things, having longer worship, you know, spending five hours a day in, you know, in prayer and fasting, you know, that's not the starting point. It's abiding in him. It's resting in him. The branch doesn't do the work. It just is there. It's just in him. The life comes from him. From that place, that's a different starting place, a different heart. Yes, we gather. Of course we gather. Of course we pray. Of course we spend time with him. But it's not so that we become fruitful. It's from a place of getting our sustenance from him. The branch rests in the vine. It gets its life from the vine. We anchor our affection in him. We live in a place of thankfulness and of adoration. If you struggle to praise and to worship, can I challenge you, go home and just literally write down thankfulness. Do it every day. Do it all the time. If you struggle to praise and worship, can I suggest you, don't have a praise and worship problem, you have a thankfulness problem. We anchor our affection to him. We worship him. We ask him to help us become aware of his presence as we rest in him, as we lean back. As the disciple that Jesus loved, lean back on him. We spend time with him. We worship, we read, we meditate, we recite scripture. We meditate on the word of God. It's the living voice of God that prunes my thoughts and prunes my concerns and prunes the ideas that are competing for my affection. The word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. His spoken word, but also this word as well. It prunes me. So don't worry about that. That's not of God. That's not helpful. That's an illegitimate thought. That's, you know, you don't give any right to that. This is what I want for you. It brings us back to focusing on him, to glorifying him, to be on the right track in him. We live humbly, allowing him to prune us. There's a humility to allow the pruning of the Lord. If I think I already have it all together, then why do I need to be pruned? I can tell you that none of us have it all together and every single one of us, according to the Bible, according to the scripture, if we wanna be fruitful, have to allow the Lord to prune us. It's in that place my mind is renewed and transformed. I'm washed by the word. When I'm in the place of abiding him, I'm anchored in his presence. I'm centered in what he's doing. It helps us fight off distraction. Helps us stay focused on who he is. Uh, All the distractions that come to dilute our affections on Jesus. When we pray, there's there's this profound interaction that takes place. From that place of I'm, you know, I'm abiding in him. Think, think of this. There's a profound interaction that takes place in prayer. We, you and I, get to interact with the great I am, the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. He gives us audience to his very throne room to come into his presence boldly because of what Jesus has done, to have an audience with the king of kings. From that place, we get to make requests of him that actually shape the course of history. There's a spiritual realm that I think many of us are unaware of. There's an angelic realm that bears witness 
as we pray and as we come before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and celebrates, and celebrates as we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus, for your glory. And that, you know, that they're activated for the glory of Jesus. What's the Holy Spirit's role in the Godhead to bring glory to Jesus? God's created us in his image. Even when we don't, we, you know, even when we fell, he chose to restore us. He's brought us into a place of co-laboring with him, into a place of partnership with himself. Fallen, redeemed men and women partnering with Almighty God. Starting from a place of abiding in him. That produces fruitfulness. That becomes all about his glory. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. This abiding in the felt reality of the Spirit of God. Sometimes we say the manifest presence. What does that mean? That we feel it. That we know he's there. The greatest reality in my life is the presence of God. I never want to go a moment without the presence of God. There's somebody here. There's somebody here today. There's, I think there's more than one. And you need to feel the reality that the spirit of God is alive and he's real. Not just know it. Not just give mental assent to it. But know it. God wants to reveal himself to you today. He wants to show you who he is. That's the greatest reality in my life. To, to honestly, to live unaware of his presence is a waste of time. It's a waste of who God's created us to be. It, it's the most precious gift to us. That the Holy Spirit himself would choose to dwell in me and rest upon me. To live unconscious of that, unaware of that, is to sell ourselves short of the divine purposes that he's created us for. Nothing eternal can come from my own effort. He gives us promises. He pulls us into a place of relationship with himself so that together we would affect the course of history, that it would all be for his glory. God created us to co-labor and to, 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 uh, to partner in his purposes, to see the earth see him, that the earth would be filled with his glory. He engages us with this divine purpose that he would be glorified. The church that Jesus is building is a church that's built upon himself and exists only for his glory. It's not built upon us. It's built upon him and is for him and to him and through him. When we get that, it frees us of a lot of stuff. Frees us of a lot of effort. It frees us of a lot of religious jargon. It frees us from the religious try hard, like look at me, this is my thing. It just frees us from that junk. Because it's on him, it's for him, it's to him, it's through him, it's so that he's glorified. It's not about me preaching. It's not about the worship leader. It's not about Matt Doty Ministries. It's about Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and it always has been, and it should always be. It's a church that abides in him, in his presence, that allows his word or his very breath to prune us for fruitfulness, that travails in prayer until we come to a place of intimacy and maturity to take possession of the inheritance as we see break, breakthrough come and prayers answered. It's a church that exists only for his glory. Can we stand together this morning?
This is the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, chapter 5. And I feel like this is our call to respond to the word that we've just heard spoken. I'm going to read it and it culminates with our surrender. And so I'm just, there's an invitation for you to surrender your affections to him. So I'm going to read it out. So this is... Um, the bride of Christ, we are the church, the bride of Christ responding to our bridegroom. We're married to Jesus, we're one with him, we're joined with him. So this is what we say. Okay, it's from um, the Passion Version and it says this, I have already laid aside my own garments for you, for you Jesus. Why don't we close our eyes? Why don't we transact with him? Why don't we do that? Um, Olaf said this morning, there are people in here who've come in with sorrow and pain and other kind of clothes. <laughs> and this is a response. Maybe your clothes might even be pride in your own achievements. Or what I've done. And you recognize as we've listened to the word today, in my insecurity, sometimes, God, I've made it about you. And so I've clothed myself with myself. So this says, I have already laid aside my own garments for you. How could I take them up again since I've yielded my righteousness to yours? And there we see religion break off. I'm not trying to be good in my own sake. I'm not trying to earn God's favor. I'm not trying to be seen to be doing the right thing, my own righteousness. But I have yielded my righteousness to yours, for yours. You have cleansed my life and taken me so far. Isn't that enough? But this is the key. My beloved Jesus reached into my heart to unlock my heart. The core of my very being trembled at his touch and how my soul and all my emotions melted when he spoke to me. And here's the key. My spirit arose to open for more of his touch, I surrendered to him. Lord, that's what we pray right now. Lord, we open our hearts, we respond to you. The key of this, the key to the abiding, Lord, is, you, is actually surrender, letting go. I just say, people of God, let go. He'll catch you as you fall. <laughs> let go, let go, let go, let go, let go. Let go, surrender. Open your spirit, open your heart for him to touch you. Mm. Yes, Lord, we thank you for your breath. Breathe, Holy Spirit, breathe. Breathe, breathe, breathe. Breathe on us, God. Breathe on us, Lord. Breathe on us, Lord. There, there's a there's release right now of anointing. I feel his presence. Take it. Be baptized afresh. Be baptized afresh. There, take, take, drink, 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 drink. Drink of him. Drink of him. It's him. It's him. Drink of him. Of him, of him. Lord, we just pray that our eyes would be set on you alone. Our hearts would be set on you alone. Lord, we want to worship you alone. We want to give you glory. Jesus, take your glory. Let's turn. I just feel in the Holy Spirit, he's, he's asking you, will you, even right now, <laughs> make your surrender 
His praise. Let's turn it to praise. Let's turn it. Let's just, as you set your affection, turn it to praise. Turn it to praise. Turn it to praise. Turn it to praise because He's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. Oh, worthy. Yes, Jesus. Yes, we turn our affections to praise. We see you, Lord. We see you, Lord. We're grateful, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's turn our surrender to praise. Thank you, Lord. We give you glory. We give you glory. We give you glory. We give you glory. lay at your feet. We surrender, Lord, anything, anything that would take glory from you. Lord, where we've made it about ourselves, whether it's purposely or even from our insecurity, Lord, again, we repent and we say, would you be glorified? As we said, Lord, we give you praise this morning. Well, I just pray this morning, would that spirit of religion be broken right now? Be broken in Jesus' name. We don't sit in judgment. We don't sit in judgment on you, Lord. We step into what you're doing. We say yes to you. Yes to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We bless what you're doing. Let us, let us always continually be here and anything that we do only for your glory. Lord, would you receive the glory that you're due from us? Lord, if we're known for anything as a people together, would it be that we exist for your glory? just feel like there's a someone here and your breakthrough or your release will come the bible says that if you confess your sins to one another you will be healed there's a there's a breakthrough or there's a release coming in your confessing actually opening your heart to somebody and saying you know what this is what i'm walking in and there's a in that there's somebody you're standing in judgment you're actually judging and it's stopping the life of god in you If that's you, just repent. Your breakthrough will come in humility. Humble yourself before the Lord. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's a grace in God, but there's an opposition from the Lord when we harden our hearts in pride. Don't wait for God to oppose you. Humble yourself this morning. Humble yourself, please that God would release breakthrough and grace to you. Lord, we thank you. We bless what you're doing. Lord, we are so thankful for your presence in this place. Lord, for those who have never experienced the, the felt reality of your presence, Lord, I pray right now, Lord, for a release of your presence. Right now, would they feel you? Lord, right now, would they know, Lord, they, would they know in their knower, not just in their head, in their heart, that you are here and you are real. Lord, we celebrate. We're so thankful. We're so thankful that you allow us to abide in you.
to lean back into you. Be glorified in our midst. Be glorified in my life. Be glorified in my family. Be glorified in my kids. Be glorified in my work. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.